Hello, and welcome again to your hyper-local progressive podcast, Radio Free Bay Ridge. Today, we're pushing forward with our Congressional Contenders series. The series is an informal, long-format chat with the Democratic primary candidates that are running to represent New York's 11th District, which covers Bay Ridge and a big chunk of South Brooklyn and Staten Island. And it's currently held down in D.C. by Representative Dan Donovan, a Republican. It's our local district, but also our chance to participate as constituents, families, organizers, and activists in a possible blue wave in 2018. So Rachel, want to get us rolling with today's guest? We're here in the studio today with Paul Sperling, who's running for the Democratic primary nomination in the 2018 New York 11 congressional elections. Hi, Paul. Hi, thank you for having me. So I'm a born and raised Staten Islander. I've lived in this community my whole life. And what I've seen my whole life is our community get the short end of the stick, whether it's bringing Mm. good quality transportation, good jobs. Every single time an improvement is brought to New York City, our community seems to be left out. Mm. This entire campaign is like first time runners. What brought you to like decide to get into politics? Yeah. So like I said, I've lived here my entire life and I want to continue to live here and I want to raise my family here and I want to see our community be sustainable and have a bright future. And that's why I've decided to run in this election. What are some of the problems that are facing people mm. in New York 11? Like, are we being threatened by, like, you know, our sustainability as a community? And what are some of the best solutions to that? So one of the major issues is jobs. People in our community find it very hard to find a job that pays enough to live and raise a family in our community. Mm. And what that has led to is people taking a commute that when you leave the house, you have to prepare for a two-hour commute. And the studies have shown that the commute for our community is the worst commute in the entire United States. That's just, see, to me, that's just crazy. Like, I have family who live out in LA, and they're driving, you know, these insane drives, but it's still shorter than what people from, you know, South Shore, Staten Island, some of the people in Brooklyn have to do every day. Yeah, when we're saying, like, prepping for a two-hour commute, yeah. we're, we're prepping for a two-hour standard yeah. commute. That's a commute where, like, all the lines are green going into, like, Manhattan or wherever you're working. Well, and, and I think we've heard, you know, from different candidates, different aspects of this transportation issue and how they'd solve it. So like, what are some of your thoughts on the commute, both within Staten Island and, and in terms of getting to and from the island? Sure. So one thing that we saw just this past summer during the so-called summer of hell was that New Jersey, upstate New York, Long Island, all received hundreds of millions of dollars to improve their transportation situation. And like I said, our transportation situation is already far worse than theirs. We have the longest in the entire country. Within New York 11. Within New York's 11th district, right. And so we have to bring that money to our district. But if we're not loud about it, if we don't make noise about it, if we don't have someone in Congress fighting for that money, Mm. it will not come down to our district. Which is weird. You'd think that like every congressional leader that comes out of NY11 would be fighting tooth and nail for something like this. But we haven't seen any real infrastructure development on the island at all. I know that Donovan has been big on doing the South Shore post Sandy, like the seawall. And I don't know where that is. It seems like they're just 
it seems to me like they're just dodging over and over again all of these local scandals and things that are happening on the federal level and like nothing's happening for us well, at the local level. I mean, I think I think when we were downstairs before you made a really good point about where the where Representative Donovan particularly is sending infrastructure money. Right. So Dan Donovan voted to spend ten billion dollars of an eventual $70 billion mm-hmm. to build the wall on the border with Mexico. With just the $10 billion, we could build four new rail lines in our community and still have a few billion dollars left over. Mm. So what would those rail lines look like? I mean, like, is rail like the best solution for Staten Island? And what would that kind of stuff look like? So we have to look at what's been done in other cities. Mm. And so if you look at Chicago... They'll run rail in many cases right on the highway. And Staten Island has the ability and the space to do that. And we also already have existing connections to New Jersey where it would be easy to link into the New Jersey transit. And you have the initial beginnings on the Brooklyn side and on the Staten Island side of a tunnel where we could connect the R train. So what we could do is bring that connection a little bit further south include Mm. a St. George stop. So it would go Bay Ridge, St. George, New Jersey, and add on a passenger rail along with that freight rail. And that would drastically reduce the construction costs. So if we're building new rail lines on the highways, like what does that look like? And what highways would we possibly be able to drive rail lines down? So we'll be introducing a rail plan over the next couple of months that Mm. would show exactly how we plan to build these rail lines, and that will be based on studies that have been done existingly. If we don't have the existing studies, we've based it on what has been done in other states and other cities. One of the things that's really cool about some of these ideas is the job creation that goes along with that. Um, and I think part of any big infrastructure spending bill is always, you know, how do we make jobs out of that? How do we create sustainable jobs out of that? Sure. So the fact that people are taking such a terrible commute means that the skills are already in our mm. community. Yeah. And we have to build the jobs where the skills are. So how do we encourage job growth on the island? Obviously, a rail line would encourage that locally. But what are some other ways just beyond uh, transit infusion? Could we like keep jobs on the island and put jobs in South Brooklyn? So one of the things that we're seeing in private industry as New York real estate becomes more expensive, and that includes office space, is companies are having their employees work more from home or work more from offsites. So what we could do is the financial sectors of a lot of these banks, the financial departments have to be located in Manhattan. But their legal departments, their marketing departments, Mm. a lot of times already are not located in Manhattan. And so we have to make sure that those jobs are coming to our community. But they're not going to come to our community unless we have somebody fighting for it. You could go back to 2001 after 9-11. A lot of the banks built was when they started building off sites. And what those are mainly for is in case of a a disaster or an event, they could send their whole staff to this other site that is outside of Manhattan that is considered a safer location. Most of these off-sites were built in New Jersey because they fought to have them built there. Nobody fought to have those built in our community, 
even though most of the people who would go to those offsites live in our community. Yeah. And and do you, when you're saying like nobody is fighting for it, do you mean in terms of like tax breaks, in terms of just sheer like getting out there, putting the message out? In terms of sitting down with the people who are making the decisions at these corporations where the offsites are going to be built and reaching out to these corporations saying, hey, right. we want you in right. our community. The only real example I can think of something like that is the Citigroup Tower that landed in Long Island City in the late 80s. Um, but it didn't really spark the building boom that people had hoped. Instead, that all went to Jersey City and, I mean, the Goldman Sachs Tower down there, or even downtown Brooklyn, though that was more of residential development. And if you look at what they built in New Jersey, they didn't build things that were outside the mold of the community. They built yeah. things that fit with the community. We could build job sites that fit with the character of the community. And I should note that each of these offsites, even though they're made for disaster preparedness, will employ about a dozen people on the regular. So if we were to bring some of those offsites to our community, that's a few hundred good paying jobs. We're talking six figure jobs mm. that could be brought mm -hmm. to our community. Mm -hmm. That could that could drastically change realities for yeah. people. And then one of the things that Staten Island's been really already on the forefront has been green jobs. Sure. So another another initiative that's coming to our community is a wind farm mm -hmm. off the coast of Staten Island. Where where on the coast is that going to end? It's going to be off the coast of St. George. Right, right. And so what we need to do, it might be a little bit west of St. George. So what we need to do is make sure that those windmills from the steel to the people who are manufacturing the windmills to the people who are putting the windmills in the ground, that it is American through and through. And Americans are the ones getting those jobs. Mm -hmm. That we're not having Chinese steel or Chinese manufacturing. And that is the way that we could strengthen the economy of the entire country, not just of our community. So we got wind farms on the south. Like, what else can Staten Island do to kind of like capture a a green building boom? So another another opportunity is with solar. We've also built a solar farm on the south shore of Staten Island, and we need to encourage more of that. Green energy is obviously the future of energy in this country and in the world. And so what we could do to encourage that is distributed solar. Mm. And distributed mm. solar means local solar farms. It means solar on top of people's roofs. And what that does, not only does it help us cut down energy costs, it also makes us more sustainable. Because in the event of a disaster like Hurricane Sandy, where we lost power for days, some people lost power for weeks. If we had local energy generation, we would not have those issues. So a lot of kind of the recurring theme that we kind of keep talking about is get is bringing that stability and that um, opportunity to the island. And I'm just curious, like, what are what are some of the specifics in terms of what the federal government can do to bring those and what you could do as a congressman to bring that stuff here? Sure. So on the level of transportation, there's federal money that is on the table to improve transportation. We know that uh, President Trump does plan to do an infrastructure plan, and I will make sure that that money comes to our community. We will not be left out of the next infrastructure improvements that come to New York City if I'm the congressman. That much I can make a guarantee. I mean, because we see like Cuomo, for example, like he's, he's like floated like what? He's floated a tunnel from Long Island to Connecticut. He's floated a tunnel from Red Hook to the financial district. And I'm very happy to hear that our governor still believes we could think big in New York City 
And I could, I would hope that he intends to help me in bringing those rail improvements and those tunnel improvements to Staten Island and South Brooklyn. If that kind of stuff stabilizes, then you don't need to do much to, again, like Amazon just floated the idea of like having an HQ in New York. Um, what, what do you think that the district can do to like attract large companies that can provide like large job centers? So with Amazon, they scoured the country looking for second headquarters and Staten Island is not in the running, essentially because we don't have the transportation that Amazon was looking for. The reason we don't have that transportation is because of that neglect by our elected leadership. What we see is that, and this is across the whole country, that as communities lose jobs, the heroin rate increases. And so if you look at the evidence, it's that economy of despair Mm -hmm. that really leads to this addiction epidemic that we're currently experiencing. And that's not to say that all addicts are, or all people who are struggling with addiction are a result of this economy, but it has certainly led to the influx. And we could see that by the data all across this country. You know, not not to get all, you know, calling out people's ages, but you're you're potentially one of the youngest congressmen in the last, you know, 20 or 30 years. Um, if you get through this, like what what are some of the concerns that you see from people at the younger end of the spectrum in terms of being able to stay on the island, find jobs on the island? You know, what what do you feel that that part of the constituency is looking for? That's right. Once elected, I'll be the youngest congressperson in the 21st century. And so what we see is that young people are struggling with student debt. You'll get out of college and you will have so much debt and yet still cannot find a job that really pays enough money to service that debt and to really get it down. So that's a major problem. We have to make sure that everyone can get an education without being burdened with a massive amount of debt. So we have to make public college free for every student. For people who already have debt, we have to make sure we have a system that allows for debt forgiveness. And debt forgiveness that doesn't take uh, multiple decades. So that's one of the problems with the debt forgiveness plan that we have right now. I also believe we need to have free trade school. We need to have public trade schools. And we need to make sure that everyone has the ability to get an education that they could sustain themselves and participate in civic life. One of the other things that I know is like really contentious, but what about the role of charters? Every parent could tell you that no two children are alike. But as class sizes increase to 40 students, there becomes no alternative for teachers but to teach every student the same. They just don't have the time in the classroom to give the students the individual attention that they require. So what we need to do is build more schools and hire more teachers. What that will do is reduce class sizes that will allow every student to get the individual attention that they require. Uh, In many cases, charter schools could help us in that regard. What we have to do is make sure that charter schools are not taking money away from public schools Mm -hmm. and they're not taking physical space away from public schools. Those are the major concerns with charter schools. If a charter school could help a child get a well-rounded education, then I think that's benefit. But if they're going to be taking funding and space away from public schools, then that's not a benefit. So one of the things also that we're talking about, like, you know, locating more like off-siting places onto Staten Island, but also just getting more companies like Amazon or something like that. 
one of the other problems is, you know, Jeff Bezos of Amazon, he's like the highest paid executive in the country. The guy's like rich as sin, can afford every single luxury. How do we make sure that that gets down to the worker level? Yeah, I mean, meanwhile, in the in the warehouse, they're making 12 bucks an hour and on their feet 14 hours a day. Right. And we have to make sure that our working class is paid enough to live a sustainable lifestyle, to sustain their families and their communities. It's not right that Jeff Bezos would make billions of dollars a year while his employees are barely making enough to live. And so you could see right here in our community where the conglomerate of Charter, Spectrum, Time Warner forced 1,800 families on strike for nine months now while their CEO was the highest paid in the telecom industry last year, taking home $98 million. If he could afford to take home $98 million, he could afford to pay his workers enough to live with a good quality of life. You know, it's all great encouraging like large corporations to come down and, you know, provide jobs. But also, how do we help get people who live here, who are here, how do we encourage them to start their own like job providing opportunities, start their own businesses. Well, and you were saying like you come from an entrepreneurial background in your family and, and you know, how, how does that translate through to encouraging other people and starting, you know, maybe feeling more ownership over their jobs and, and taking the time to go out there and create their own opportunities? I think that we need to be encouraging more worker co-ops and that's where workers are the owners of the business. And this has been done hundreds, thousands of times across the country. There's many, many successful and even large businesses in America that are worker co-ops. And by encouraging that kind of business, it makes sure that workers get the profits that they created. There is no overhead from the executives. Yeah, and it makes it really sustainable. Because <laughs> you're not going to have like 30 co-op workers decide, oh, you know, Jersey City is giving me a huge tax break to head over there. So all these 30 local workers, what, they're going to up and move their houses out to Jersey because someone offered them like a tax break? That doesn't work on a worker cooperative. It stays local and it stays ingrained in the community. Right. When you give workers the power over their own employment and their own lives, they're obviously going to make the decisions that work best for them. They're not going to give themselves a two-hour commute. Yeah. Well, and holistically work best for them. So maybe they get a tax break, but like you say, they're not going to add a two-hour commute for a few bucks off on their taxes. In terms of the pressures that get put on a business, when you've got, you know, for example, we've talked with a few different people about the cost of healthcare. When you've got a worker cooperative, how does how does that get distributed? Or, or is that something that then Medicare for All would be like the you know silver bullet. So one thing that happens in America that doesn't happen in virtually any other first world country is that we ask employers to provide health care for their employees. In most other countries in Europe or in Canada, it's the government that provides health care through a system that is similar to Medicare for all. And by doing that, the burden is now taken off the business to provide health care for their employees and now makes them easier to compete on the global level because mm-hmm. now it is much harder for an American business to compete because they have to provide health care for their employees as opposed to a mm. business from Europe. So one of the things when we're talking about health care and health care spending, something that keeps coming up is pharmaceutical prices and drug prices. Um, we've talked a lot about alternative 
particularly in the case of the heroin epidemic, um, alternative pain management, which in New York starts to look like medical cannabis. But that, you know, there are a lot of states where that's not where they're drawing the line. Do you want to give us kind of your thoughts on legalization, taxation, kind of regulation on that front? Sure. So what we've seen over the past few decades is that the war on drugs has been a multi-trillion dollar failure. Mm. And we need to take a new approach. We've seen that marijuana is less harmful than alcohol. Marijuana is less harmful than tobacco. People are allowed to drink alcohol. People are allowed to smoke tobacco. It makes sense that an adult would be allowed to smoke marijuana. And yeah, I hope that people listening in can really see how important all of these things are to, you know, really tackling uh, what you called the economy of despair and how important fresh ideas are going to be to solving it. So, Paul, it's been really great having you in. Thank you for coming. And thanks for kind of filling us in on some of your thoughts. It's been great. Thank you for having me. It's been excellent. Thanks again, Paul, for chatting with us and talking about your ideas. If anything piqued your interest, you can check out Paul's website at paulsperling.com. That's Paul, S-P-E-R-L-I-N-G.com. You can also reach out and ask him a question and engage on Facebook or Twitter at at paulsperlingny. And as always, if you had any questions or want to go deeper, check out the show notes at www.radiofreebayridge.org with tons of additional articles, links, and videos as we do our own research on the issues. What can I say? We love facts. You can also chat with us on Facebook or Twitter at at RadioFreeBR. And if you haven't subscribed yet on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts, go do so and leave us a review while you're at it. Our next episode will be Max Rose, followed by Omar Vaid. Petitioning starts in March, by the way, and that's the first hurdle our congressional contenders will face, which involves getting enough unique signatures to get on the ballot from registered Democrats. So start pulling out those canvassing shoes, and until next time, stay free, Bay Ridge. Bay Ridge.